0: Amen, amen, and welcome to Harvest, and whether this is your first time here or you've been here a while, you are family here, and whether you're here in person or online, we're so thankful that you are here. And we're going to continue our series in the book of Titus, if you want to get a head start there. We're going to be in Titus chapter 1, today beginning in verse 5, uh, so if you want to get a head start there, we would love to uh, for you to turn there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one for you available in the back, and we'd love for you to have that as our gift to you. We love God's Word here at Harvest, don't we? And we're going to open it, we're going to read it, and we're going to apply it straight word by word today. And we're so thankful for all that God is doing. So thankful for your faithfulness in worship, and partnership, and in giving. And as the month comes to a close, we'd ask for you to continue to help us to finish the month strong financially. But just so thankful for all that God is doing here. Um, now... Ann and I have four kids, um, and it's so they're all amazing, but none of them are perfect. Shocking, right? Um, and so n- there are no perfect human beings. I pray that they're all pursuing. And, um, you know, as parents, it's, Ann and I are far from perfect parents. And we, as we continue to have our kids grow into teenage years, we want to take advice from you, those of you that have walked those shoes before us. And some of the best parenting advice I've ever received is someone very wise once told me, remember that the days are long, but the years are short, amen? And so um, if you're, as a parent, I know that there are some long days and even longer nights, hang in there. You're doing a good job, and we're we're with you, and uh, you're not alone in that. But as we said, the days are long, but the years are short, and so much so that tomorrow, our oldest, Amanda, turns 15, which is crazy to think about. And, and she, I asked her permission if I could do this, and she said yes. Um, and so, but she was the first baby on either of Anna and I's side. Ann and I are both the oldest in our in our families, and so she was the first grandchild. So you can imagine the swarm of grandparent love, and and the you see the picture up behind the screen me. And, you know, the stereotypical question, you know, when people go, who does she look like? Oh, she has your cheeks. She has your nose. I have no idea, right? I'm just like, oh, I'm so glad there's a baby here. She's got brown eyes, so she's like her mom. Praise God that she looks more like her mom in that way. Um, but as she's gotten older, as you saw in that picture, right, uh, one of the things in, in, in the more recent picture is even if I couldn't tell, that there were some similarities when she was a baby. As she's gotten older, there is no denying that she is my daughter. She's got my freckles. She's got some mannerisms. And isn't that the same reality that as parents, as our kids get older, there's really no denying that there is a relationship there. And sometimes there, that's because there are physical similarities. Like my dad and I have the same hairline. I tried to fight it all my life, and I, I, I can't. Um, I'm succumbing to that. Um, Maybe it's mannerisms, maybe it's verbiage, maybe it's traditions that you grow up with and you're like, why do we always, why do you want to do this as you go into your own marriage? You're like, well, my family growing up always did that way, right? And so you have habits and so the more mature, the older that you get, the longer that you go, the more that you become like your parents in a lot of ways. Spiritually, it's very similar. In the same ways, as we mature, and this whole, remember, this sermon series is titled Build Your Church. It's a cry of our heart that Jesus would build his church. He builds it in a certain way, and we're looking at nine different pursuits that we have to build the church of God. As we mature, as we looked at last week pursuing spiritual maturity, we see that as we get older, more mature, our lives should look more and more like our Heavenly Father, amen? That when people see us as we grow in the Lord, as the day, the years that we have been walking with the Lord increase, our lives should reflect more and more of the character of God. However, how many of us are struggling with that? When the world looks at you, do they see the heart of God? Do they see the character of God? Do they see the priorities of God? Do they see speech that comes out of your life, your mouth, that reflects Jesus Christ? Do they see how you spend your money is how Jesus would have you spend and steward your money? Do they see how you spend your time, how you react in difficult work circumstances? Are all of those things, as you grow in spiritual maturity, reflecting more and more of Jesus? Now, the reality is life is hard, right? Life is hard. And and this world is hard. And but we're gonna see today from the text, Paul writing to Titus, who is stationed in a very hard setting on the island of Crete. We looked a little bit about that last week. It's a literally a an island full of hostility towards the gospel, both on the outside because Christians, as we'll look even more next week, are self described as liars, beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's their words, right? And they're also inside the church. There are people called the Judaizers who feign and might look like on the outside, that they like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but on the inside, they're trying to tear up the church. Paul has sent Titus there to set the church in order. So this text is written to people living in a very hostile environment, and our world is growing more and more hostile to the, our faith, is it not? So how do we do this in a world that is both seemingly so alluring and tempting to our fleshly nature, like I want to give in to the things that are around me, but also very hostile to the faith that I'm trying to hold so strongly? We're going to see in the text today that Paul says a foundational and necessary element to building Jesus' church in a way that will last in the face of hostility is to instill and install biblical, godly leadership in that church. It's vital then and it's vital now. Leaders who will love it and lead it sacrificially, humbly, biblically, faithfully, generously, and steadfastly in a world where it's not very popular to do so. We're going to see in the text today that this was Titus's, the Paul's top priority for Titus in building the church. Paul had a plan. He had a system for how to plant and build churches. He preached the gospel, he strengthened believers, and then he appointed elders. And we're going to see him instilling that, discipling Titus to do that, a young pastor, and so doing that, instilling it in us today. And this is a very poignant passage for us in this moment, as we are going through the process of seeking, identifying, evaluating, and over the next several months, installing our own new local elders. And so I pray that you would open your hearts and open your minds to what God would have for us from this text because pursuing biblical leadership is essential for all of us. Hear that, please. Man, woman, whatever. Pursuing biblical leadership is essential for all of us. The position might only be for some of us in different seasons and different stages or different roles for different people, but the pursuit is for all of us. And whether we are personally fulfilling the role, or knowing how to pray for those that are fulfilling the role, or what to look for, or how to support, how to fan into flame, how to encourage, there are parts of this process and this journey that are vital for all of us to have. You have a role to play. And I'm so thankful for that. And John Maxwell, who's a leader and a pastor, has, has written many books, and he says, everything rises and falls on leadership I believe that, but I think everything rises and falls as leaders surrender themselves first and foremost to the leadership of Jesus Christ and then look to live that out biblically, sacrificially every day. The big idea for the text, you'll see it on the screen and in your notes for today, is this. That genuinely building the church of God requires leaders who wholeheartedly reflect the character of God. Genuinely building the church of God requires leaders who wholeheartedly, not just in some ways, not just in some areas, not just on Sundays or your small group, but in every way when you're in the office, when you're in the neighborhood, when you're on the, at the gym, when you're in the grocery store line, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, when somebody curses you out on the street, how do you respond? Do you reflect the character of God? And I say genuinely here very specifically because it is genuine. When Jesus talks about building his church, he is not so much concerned with the size of the church as much as he is concerned with the quality of the disciples within that church. Remember, church is people. There are many people that exist within the, in the walls of what is called a church, but they're focused on building a crowd. Jesus is not focused on building a crowd. He's, he's concerned with building his church. A church is called out gathering of disciples, of believers who are set apart by God to grow in character for God, to live on mission for God, for the glory of God. That's a church. It exists in all different sizes and shapes, urban, rural, all different settings, and all different nations. That's God's global church. And may that be the priorities of our church today. Jesus is inviting you on the greatest adventure that has the greatest return of investment to build his church, and I pray that we would all accept that invitation. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that as we dive into this text that you would just speak. God, I'm so thankful for the word that you have given us through the Holy Spirit and through your faithful servants. and we stand on it, and we stand for it, and God, I just pray that you would silence my words today and that your words would flow clearly, lovingly, graciously, and convictionally. Um, God, that you would guide us and that you would lead us, that you would build your church in the way that you would have it. Thank you for this blueprint that you've given us for building your church called your word. Thank you for the leader that you've given us and the Holy Spirit who leads us into your truth. Now, Father, I just pray that you would just move, that you would open our hearts and our lives, that you would grow each of us to be more like you and give us a heart that wants to live and grow to become more like you and live on mission for you. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you are up for diving into this great adventure called building the church of God, say, let's go. go. All right, let's go. Thanks. And since you insist, turn with me to Titus chapter one, right? Titus chapter one, we're going verse by verse through the book of Titus. We love God's word. We love going verse by verse. And so we're going to look at five through nine. Titus chapter one, verses five through nine. Here we go. This is why I left you in Crete. Again, the apostle Paul is writing to his protege named Titus. self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instructions and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this is one of the meat and potatoes passages um, of our of our church and how to build the church and how to set up the governance structure. It's also, we see the qualification for elders in 1 Timothy 3. We also see some of them in 1 Peter 5. Acts 20 talks about how elders should act and what they are to be doing. Um, but Paul states very directly in this passage in verse 5, his why behind the what, right? It literally starts and it says, this is why I left you in Crete. So any. Any room for assumptions? No. Any room for uh, wondering or lack of clarity? No. He goes, this is why, and again, Titus is probably in his late 20s or early 30s. We don't know exactly. This is why I left you in Crete. For two specific reasons, right here in the text. So that you may put what remained into order. That phrase means literally to set back into order like a doctor resets a broken bone. What he is saying there is that in this young church in Crete, something is off, something is broken, something needs to be put into order. God is a God of order. From Genesis to Revelation, he's a God of order. He is building his church. He's giving us his blueprint. And when we get away from it, when we get out of alignment, bad stuff happens, right? when we wander from the word and enter into worldliness, when we leave humility and go with pride, when it becomes more about us, the church, and our identity is anchored in the church, more than our identity is anchored in Christ, adversity and destruction lies ahead. And many of us have experienced that through a variety of mediums and mechanisms, only by the grace of God. and a heart of humility can we avoid this in a convictional and leading and living. The second thing, because this process of putting it back into order requires hard work, and he can't. One person can't do it on their own. You need a team. You need a group of people. You need people in general that are all on the same page. The second purpose that Paul is having for writing this letter, and again, the building of the church is foundational level. Jesus is a foundation, but now he's going. What does it look like to pursue biblical leadership? The second reason and purpose for Paul writing as he self-describes here in verse 5 is to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So again, Titus has seen Paul. Paul, If you read the book of Acts, you see that Titus, Paul has a plan. He goes into the city center. Read Acts 14 if you want. He preaches the gospel, step one. He strengthens believers, step two. He appoints elders in every local town, step three. And he's now going, Titus, you've seen me do it. This is discipleship. This is pursuing discipleship. Titus, you've seen me. You've helped me. Now it's your turn to do it. That's discipleship. And that's what we are pursuing here at Harvest within the GCC, all over this region. So thankful for that. This is a big part. Appointing elders is, a, is not optional. It's a necessity. And it's our heart to take God's truth here at Har- and, and apply it. To see what we see in Scripture here at Harvest and apply it to everyday life. Now, different churches have different interpretations and or philosophies on how to set up church governance structures, who is qualified to be in different positions. And so we want to have grace for those that disagree or might interpret scripture differently or do it differently. So this isn't about a a message on, man, why do churches over there do this or do that? This is our hearts is we want you to see from God's word why we do what we do here, because we see it very, very clearly in God's word. And we want to live it convictionally. We want to live graciously with those that are around us that might do it differently, that we're going to be with in heaven for all of eternity. Praise God, amen. But we want to take the text and we want to apply it convictionally here in everyday life, and that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do that to the best of our ability faithfully. So this text is one of the foundational texts that we build our ecclesiology or how we do church or our view on church governance. It comes out of a lot from this text. We must have grace in the non-essentials, but we must also live with doctrinal conviction. And this is where we get ours. We want to lead biblically, faithfully, and convictionally. What is an elder? So let's break this down. What is an elder? If it's Paul's priority, he says, this is why I left you in Crete, to appoint elders. An elder, this is an, an official leadership position in the church. One of two offices that we see, elder and the other one is what? It's deacon, which we see in Acts chapter 6. The deacons are, are primarily oriented at serving. The elders are primarily oriented as servant leadership. This is a an office that is the word elder here is used synonymously throughout the New Testament text with pastor, with overseer. Even later in this text, we're going to see the word overseer is referring to the same office. So elder and pastor are synonymous in scripture. That's really, really important to understand. The elder is one who is charged with spiritual oversight as an an under-shepherd in God's church. Peter writes about it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says this, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. He's giving a job description for an elder right here. Shepherd the flock. And likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's so much in here that's a whole different sermon for a different day, but it's important contextually to understand a couple of things. To, an eldership starts on a heart level. It starts on a heart level. And all of us, before we are ever in any type of positions, before we serve as an under we must always remember that we are sheep. First, that we serve under the authority of the chief shepherd, and it's not about us no elder, no staff member, small group leader. It is Jesus' church. Who's the chief shepherd? Jesus. And he's coming back, and we will all have to give an account one day. This is not about power. Peter says, Don't be domineering. This is not about climbing the church authority ladder and I finally made it because I made it to the position. No, it's about laying your life down in service of our king and sacrifice for him. It's not for shameful gain. It's not like, oh, finally, I can determine the color of the carpet. I've been waiting all these years to be in the position of authority in church, right? Now we can sing the songs that I want to sing. No, no. It's a heart that is willing to lay down their life, like Jesus says in John chapter 10, of what the role of a shepherd is for the sheep. To serve, to lead, to protect, and to guide. That's what a shepherd does. We have to be, and the key in all of this, as as Peter makes very, very clearly in 1 Peter 5, the key is what? Humility. Humility is the essential ingredient to leading biblically and faithfully. After the chief shepherd, read Philippians 2, read the humility of Jesus who laid down his deserved role and he took on the form of a servant and he endured the cross. He considered others better than himself. That's the role of an elder. It's vitally, vitally, vitally important to understand that. To understand that an elder is one who is under authority, under the chief shepherd's authority. And one Hebrews 13, we'll look at this later, says, We'll one day stand before God and give an account for how we led His church. And if that doesn't make you fear and tremble in a holy, reverential way, I don't know what will. Biblically speaking, elders are primarily shepherds more than they are business board members. Yes, a church is an organization and a corporation, right? There's land that is owned, there are taxes and IRS stuff, there are org charts and all this, but all of those things should come under the main goal or serve as a fuel to accomplish the mission. That shepherding, disciple-making, church plant, these are all the role of what we are called to do. Yes, the church's operational needs that fall under, like everything else, under oversight, but every operational necessity is meant to ignite Missional priority. I'm so thankful for those that God has gifted operationally that have, have and are and will come alongside and, and add leadership in those ways systems and different structures and different things that are vitally helpful and important and necessary, but they are a means to an end. What's the goal, right? Disciple making, amen? And we can't get that out of whack, we can't get that out of order. God is a God of constancy and consistency. And so we learn a couple of really important things, characteristics, facts about how God is desiring to have his elders lead in the church from this text. A couple of these things are, what are elders? Elders are marked by spiritual maturity. We see that all throughout this text. Elders exist in plurality. Like the word right here is in point. Not elder, but what? elder More than one. Scripture doesn't say have two or 15 or 25. Like there's grace there. Different churches do that differently. But more than one provides accountability. It provides help. It provides assistance. Paul's like, Titus, you don't have to do this alone, man. Find other guys, other brothers that will come alongside you and walk with you in this. The word elder is used predominantly in Scripture in, in a oral context. Elders are appointed in this text. You see that right here? The word appointed and appoint elders. So the current elders appoint new elders. They evaluate, they assess, and then they install. And that's the model that we follow here. We, we get inputs from different ones. We had folks give elder nominations, but the current elder board will appoint. Why do we do that? Because this is the model that we see in Scripture right here, right? There are other churches that do it, way differently, and they love Jesus too. Praise God. But why do we do what we do? Because it's right here in Scripture. We see that process happening right here. Paul left Titus. He installed Titus. Now he charged Titus to install others. We see these generations of disciple making the impact. Elders in this text are to be appointed in every town. It's not one elder team to rule them all, right? It's Every local church has its own unique elder board. And that is consistent how Paul built, how he organized under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, churches that he planted. Now there are seasons and there are situations, and I'm so thankful, and and even in our church, there was the first year and a half we were we had a um, we had an elder team that was provisional and that the, we had a local elder that was helping with provisional and we had our sending church mission church in Lancaster that provided oversight and so thankful to have some good friends from mission church with us today praise God for that and so we see the church existing already in Crete before the elders are established and every town so it's it's seasonal for sure. But the goal is to be prioritized and to emphasize local elders at every local church. In this text, we see Paul saying that elders should be male. Now, we believe very, very clearly that God creates men and women equal but with different roles, with different responsibilities, with different ways in which he wants them to build the church in complementary roles. Now, women, you guys are, uh, are strong and amazing leaders, and God's desire, our desire, my prayer, is that you would thrive in leadership within the church in every way that the Bible teaches and trains. And in, in the work world, go run companies and corporations and, and elected positions, run the country, Awesome. But in God as a God of order, we see in this text and in 1 Timothy that he has chosen the role of elder for men. Very consistent with what in Ephesians 5 we see in the order of the home. That the husband is to be the spiritual leader of the home. And in the same way, just like the church is the bride of Christ, God has installed and allowed that consistent trend to go through this. Now, everyone is, leadership is influence, yes, so every one of you is a leader. But this text is specifically speaking to the position of elder. I'm so thankful for so many that have served in this role here at Harvest. Because while this text is about position, it's ultimately about a heart posture, a heart of surrender that is willing to serve and embrace kingdom responsibility, to embrace the mess that is shepherding people. You'll see this picture behind me of a a guy leading a bunch of sheep, right? What I love about this picture, I think of it as a day in the life of a modern-day church. You have a guy in cargo shorts in front of sheep. You have a steep cliff on one side. You have one sheep that is falling behind in the back. You have a couple sheep that are about to fall off the side in the back. And like, this is what day-to-day life is. This is eldering. It's lovingly embracing the mess. And we're all messy people, right? Because sheep stink. Like, literally, they smell. They bite. Literally, they bite. And sheep have a reputation of not being the most intelligent creatures out there. Like, they might run off a cliff if there wasn't a shepherd, right? And I'm not making a direct comparison to say, hey, you stink and you smell and you're not smart. I'm just saying, we as people, we need help, right? We need God-installed leaders to come lovingly alongside us. I know I do to help guide me and lead me. And I'm so thankful for the mission church leadership, for Johnny Tatum, for Gord Vosser, for Chad, for Ted, for Austin, and excited to see who God raises up next to continue in leading the church here at Harvest, co-laboring with myself. Please, church, be praying for these men, past, present, future. Be praying for God to identify the right men. Because ultimately, as an elder, we see that biblically speaking, is an under-shepherd operating, submitted to the authority of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, but installed and appointed locally to lead, feed, protect, and guide God's God's people. And biblical leadership is, is sacrificial leadership, right? Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to what? To serve and to lay my life down as a ransom for many. Now, elders are not saviors. There's only one savior, it's Jesus Christ. But we are called, elders are called to lead out of love. Elders, that's what they do. They lead out of love, vertically first for God, horizontally for God's people, for the church. Paul writes in Timothy, he writes to his other young pastor in, in 1 Timothy 3, He's one. he says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, he desires a noble task. If anyone aspires to this office, he aspires to the noble task. Again, aspire is this notion of pursuit. It's a lifelong pursuit. doesn't mean you're ready to be an elder right now or you'll be ready to be an elder tomorrow or you might never have the position, but are you pursuing? Because ultimately, what an elder is, is a spiritually mature believer. So ultimately, are you aspiring to being spiritually mature? And as spiritual maturity comes along, you are willing to embrace kingdom responsibility more and more and more. Because that's what an eldership does. Now, there are seasons where it's not the right thing for you or seasons for your family or different other things that are going on. But men, I want to directly challenge you right now. Are you aspiring to be an elder? And if not, why not? Why not? You might never be an elder, but if not... Why not? What other things are a greater priority in your life that are keeping you from pursuing the greatest priority in your life should be Jesus Christ? I want you to really check your hearts and ask yourself, are your hearts in the right place? Or are you mailing it in your spiritual journey? Because God has something greater for you. I want to challenge you to aspire to this because he desires a noble task. Noble means worth it. Task means work, right? (laughs) It's hard work, but nothing has a greater reward. This is impacting lives for all of eternity, and it is a privilege and a responsibility. It might not every might not be God's plan for you, but along the way of aspiring to this, you might become a small group leader, a ministry team leader. You might lead a, work, a Bible study in your, off, in your office or in your neighborhood. God will use you as you open your heart, your minds, your life, your resources. Saying, God, I want to aspire to have the most kingdom impact because I want to become more and more like you each and every day. Will you aspire to do that? So what is God looking for in an elder? What is Paul instructing Titus to look for in an elder? What are we looking for in an elder? That's what this text tells us next. Because remember, genuinely building the church of God requires leaders who wholeheartedly reflect the character of God. Is that you today? Here are five different characteristics of biblical elders in this text. Five different qualifications. And this is a high level. We could spend weeks diving into each of these qualities. I'm going through these qualities with a group of guys right now. Excited to do that. It's a journey. It's a path. It's a process. One step at a time. The first characteristic of a biblical elder is this. A life that continually demonstrates godly character. You see it on your notes. And you'll see it right here in the text. Verse 6. If anyone is above reproach. Above reproach. That does not mean perfect. But it means pursuing. It means that no charge can actively be held against you right now. Look. All of us need the gospel, amen? None of us are perfect. We all sin. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for the mercy. If if you're perfect in this room, well, you're not telling the truth. This means one who is blameless, not liable to accusation or a question of personal character or integrity. Again, it's not about being perfect. It's about being perfected. It's about pursuing God. Is this you? Are you pursuing God in this way? doesn't mean you get it right 10 out of 10. It doesn't mean that you always make the right decisions. I, I, I get it wrong more. I get it wrong. You guys get it wrong too, right? Praise God for a plurality that we can wrestle through things together. This is all about emulating the humility that emulates the life of Christ and a life that displays the character of Christ and gives off the aroma of Christ. Paul says in the gospel is the aroma of Christ. This is a guy that you, when he leaves and he, he leaves your small group or you're hanging out one night watching a game, and you leave, man, I just, the grace of God was so present with that guy. The love of Christ, the commitments. There is this, like, you can walk with a guy and you go, man, what cologne are you wearing, right? This this guy, the above reproach guy, he walked like, I smell literally Jesus when I'm around you. I smell the grace of God and the goodness of God just emanating as you leave. And I want more of that. It's the guy that can say, like Paul says, follow me as what I follow Christ. None of us are perfect. Paul isn't. I'm not. But is this you? I was talking with a good friend recently, and he was just like, man, when it comes to elders, and he was talking about a guy who he loves who's an elder, he's like, you just want to look at that guy and go, that's an elder. Like, it just emanates from who they are, and is that your character? Is that your life? I believe that's true of some of you in this room. I believe that some of you are pursuing that, maybe it's not quite there yet, but you're on that process. Some of you haven't started yet. What is keeping you from pursuing? Again, it's not about the position. It's about the pursuit of Jesus Christ. And along the way, you might end up in the position, but you're not aspiring to the position. You're aspiring to the mission to be used by God in whatever way possible to advance the kingdom. And if that's serving as an elder, it's serving as an elder. If it's taking out the trash, it's taking out the trash, right? It's the heart of it all. Friends, where do you need to repent in your life for areas that you are not above reproach right now? You hide or maybe nobody else knows about or whatever. Where do you need to start pursuing God? What areas of your life and areas to grow in these things? What's the next step in the way that you speak, in the way that you act, and how you steward your resources, and how you give your money—all of these things matter. Are you above reproach in whether or not you tithe, or how much you do? Are you above reproach in the words that you say in the office? Are you above reproach in how you parent? Are you above reproach? Look, and you're like, "Oh no, I'm not." This is not like a. This is again. This is a pursuit. And stop settling and start striving. I have a really good friend um, who did life and ministry with for a very long time. He's now living in Augusta, Georgia. um, And we've been on several mission trips together. And he would just, he is not a charismatic guy. Not at all. But he's a faithful guy. And everywhere we went, he'd do, be doing the little things and caring with such a hard attitude. How can I serve? What can I do? We're walking through a third world country and he's the one looking out for, he's at the back of the line, keep making sure everybody's safe. And what he he stands on the word of God and so much so that we all gave him the nickname sheepdog, right? Why? Because he was caring for the sheep. That guy's an elder. Character overall. That's what Paul is saying right here. You can't get past the character thing. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how charismatic you are. It doesn't matter how much competency you have in certain areas. It doesn't matter what business you run or, or how high-ranking a military officer you are. If you don't have biblical character, you are not qualified to be an elder. And if you don't have that, why are you not pursuing of it and where do you need to repent of it? This is about a striving for all of us. The second quality characteristic of a biblical elder in this text is this. It's a home that pursues consistent gospel commitment. A home that pursues consistent gospel commitment. We see that in verse 6. The husband of one wife and the children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. The husband of one life literally means it's a one-woman man. That he, if he is married, he has a devoted, faithful, gospel centered commitment to his wife. He's not addicted to pornography, he's not flirting with other ladies, he is committed to leading and loving his wife in the way that Jesus Christ compels us to, and that Paul instructs us with in Ephesians chapter five. Is that you? And if not, where do you need to confess? Where do you need to repent? Why not? Children are believers. Now, none of us can make anybody else, including our own children, choose to follow Christ, right? As a parent, that's really difficult. I can't make that decision for them. I can't compel them enough to make them decide to follow Jesus. But what I can do is to train them up, to disciple them, to create an environment that is in every possible human way conducive to God working in their hearts and mind. It means I I have a plan to disciple them. And that looks different for everybody. That means I commit, commit to going to church together with them. That they, when they see me, I actively live out the gospel. What that means is I let them know when I screw up and I confess my sins to my kids and I ask them for forgiveness, right? That you continue to love them and look and lead in the way in which they should go. Proverbs obviously 22 says, train up a child in the way that they should go and they won't depart from it. It's a heart that says, I will do whatever is necessary and give whatever time and attention to nurture and disciple my children in training and instruction of the Lord. It's a priority, there is intentionality, and I'm going to trust God with the rest. But how many of us give more money, pay more time, get more excited about your kid's AAU or sports schedule, or their, uh, their music career, or their academic endeavors, or get a job than you do about training them up to be a disciple of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm going to teach you to work on a car, but I'm not going to teach you the words of Christ. Parents, we need to prioritize disciple-making. That's what this text is talking about. And dads especially, I want you to understand the impact and the influence that you have. There is several statistics out there that would make it very clear when the father comes to the Lord and following the Lord that there is a much, much, much higher percentage for children walking with the Lord. One statistic is 93% when the dad comes to know the Lord, children are more likely to follow the Lord because they're watching you, friends, whether you realize it or not, whether you want it or not, whether you like it or not. And you get all jacked up and excited for, here's the jersey for my favorite sports team. You better like the Ravens. I'm sorry. Um, my kids are doomed. I'm a Commanders fan. But I don't give you the jersey of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. I'll travel all over the country for AAU tournaments on the weekends because maybe you'll get an athletic scholarship, but I won't make a commitment to get you in church. Come on, guys. What's the priority? Your kids are watching. I want to challenge you, especially men. You have influence to wield it and not yield it. Say it with me. Wield not yield. Say it, repeat after me. Wield not yield. Ready? Say let's say it again. Wield not yield. not yield. You have influence. Use it. Wield it. They're watching. And if you can't lead spiritually in your home, you're not qualified to lead in God's church. Cuz your priority should be at home. Third characteristic of an overseer, of an elder Is a commitment to steward God's work faithfully? We see that right here in verse 7. For an overseer as God's steward. Right in the text right there. Now what does the word steward mean? It means that you are a manager, not an owner. The word overseer there also means you're like a mid-level manager, right? You are managing the work of God. You're overseeing it as God's under-shepherd, the work that Jesus has to make disciples of all nations. We have a responsibility to embrace that kingdom commission. Are you willing to steward God's work faithfully? An an elder is a steward, not an owner. This isn't the elder's church. This is Jesus Christ's church, amen? Amen. It's not about doing it my way, Ted's way, Austin's way, any other staff member's way. It's about doing it Jesus' way. That's why we need to pray continually. Jesus, what would you have as a Holy Spirit? We're desperately in need of you leading us. Jesus gave his life for it. Will you embrace it? Ultimately, elders are here to worship God as they lead for God as an under-shepherd. Here at Harvest, we say that elders do three things, primarily. Big buckets, doctrine, direction, and normally we say discipline. I like the word discipleship a little bit better there, because discipline is a part of discipleship, because the heart of discipline is restoration and reconciliation, which is discipleship. That's the goal of an elder. That's the role. Again, under the overarching responsibility, primarily as a shepherd, as an under-shepherd. Are you willing to embrace that? I have, a, I have something that I keep on my desk that I brought down here. It's, if you can't see it, it's a sheep. It's to remind me two things. One, that I'm first a sheep before I'm a shepherd. That God cares way more about who I am in him than what I do for him, no matter what position I am currently operating in. Secondly, it's a position to remind me that I, I have the privilege and responsibility to love and care for God's sheep. It can get messy at times. It can get hard at times. It can be exhausting. It can be a lot of things, but it is beautiful and it is worth it because people are worth it. You're worth it. So friends, I want to ask you on a heart level right now, do you have a willingness to embrace kingdom responsibility and to bear that weight? Again, God will come alongside you and help him. We're supposed to cast our anxiety before the Lord, but there is a weight that comes with this. Because we will give an account. Let's count the cost, Jesus says. Are you willing? And if not, why not? God will give you the strength in the right time, but are you willing? And if you're not, examine the heart reasons why. Are you willing to love people, to love God, to give your life to stewarding the mission of God? Is your family willing? Because while the position is for the the man, the impact is on the family. Because Satan will come after you. Satan hates God's church and he wants to destroy it. And if he can't destroy it, he wants to distract it. He wants to diminish it. And when you sign up for more spiritual maturity, whether it's, I'm going to take on a a servant role at church, on a ministry team, I'm going to become a small group leader, I'm going to, yes, I will become an elder. You put a bigger and bigger bullseye on your back, and the back of your family. God's bigger, but be aware of the spiritual war that is existing. So is your family willing? It's worth it but count the cost. Worth it. Fourth characteristic of an elder, biblical elder, is to daily conduct that is an authentic gospel testimony. Friends, character trumps charisma and competency. You can be a chairman of a bank, but not be qualified to serve as an elder. We see this right here in verses seven and eight. For an overseer, as God's steward. Look at the number of times in the next several, next two verses the word must is used. Must be above reproach. Like, it's not optional. Must. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So in this passage, what we see right here is flowing out of a, is, is conduct that flows out of a, the character of a heart that is committed to God. The conduct in your life is a direct overflow of the character in your heart. Where is your heart? What we also see here is a level of consistency. There are 11 attributes here. Again, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Galatians is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So are those attributable to you? And that's a fruit that flows out of the root of a man or a woman in general that is committed to pursuing the Lord and is walking with the Lord. And this text specifically as it refers to fulfilling the role of an elder, 11 attributes. The first five in verse 7 are negative. The other six are are positive in verse eight. As you examine this, as you do a heart check, man, woman, I would challenge you to do a heart check right now and throughout this week, maybe in small group, in verses seven and eight of how am I doing on this list right now? Because this is a must to have, not a nice to have. It's a need to have. Not arrogant or quick tempered. Look, all of us are probably quick tempered a time or two. Again, this is not about being perfect. It's about pursuing. When you're quick tempered, do you apologize to your spouse? The growing in, in above approach means that there's a shorter and shorter time before, between hey, the commitment of the sin and the confession of the sin. You're quicker to repent. You're more authentic when you're less defensive. You own it. Are you a drunkard? Are you violent or greedy for gain? This is the negative. Here's the positive. Are you hospitable? Are you a lover of good? Are you self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined? Are those true of you? And if you're like, yeah, they are on Sunday, but how about when you're at work? How about when it's you're stressed at home? Look, all of us fall short of these. Praise God for his grace, amen. But are you pursuing them? So for an elder, for character, there is not just the existence of these qualities, but there is a consistency of these qualities. What I mean by that is, not just when you're at church and have your church clothes on, but when you're at the game, when you're in the neighborhood when you're at Starbucks with your friend, when you're at work, when you're wherever you are, when no one's watching late at night and you're on the internet, is there a consistency of character in your life that, tr- that is cons- godly in every circumstance of your life? Not just I play Christian on Sunday or at small group and if my, worker, my co-workers would have no idea. That's why in the elder evaluation process we actually ask that you get evaluated by a neighbor and a co-worker because there is a consistency requirement for this position. Is your life and character consistent with the gospel across every circumstance? Do you have a good reputation with outsiders? It's a biblical qualification for eldership. A godly reputation, and not just a reputation, but is it authentic, is it real? Remember, genuinely building the church of God requires leaders who wholeheartedly reflect the character of God. And, and fifth and finally, the characteristic is this. The willing capability to teach sound doctrine with biblical conviction. Again, look at verse 9. He, what's the next word there in your text if you have the ESV? He what? Must. Not optional. Must. Must. Hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, that word means healthy, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Much more on the rebuke portion next week when we go into verses 10 through 16. But the focus right here is on the willing capability to teach sound doctrine with conviction. Now, of all the 20, depending on how you count, across First Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, Acts 20, of all the 20 or so qualifications for elders, all of them are character-based except for one, which is capacity-based, which is capability-based, which is what? Right here. Able to teach. What are we able to teach? Sound doctrine. Now, when you look at this text, it, here's a process for being able to teach. First, you must hold firmly to the trustworthy word. So my question for each of us in this room as we reflect on it is am I truly viewing God's word as trustworthy truth? Do I anchor all of my life decisions in the gospel and in the word of God? How I spend my money, what I do with my time, am I viewing God's word as trustworthy? If you're not, that start right there. God wrote a book. It's without error. We can anchor in it. We can trust it. Are you doing that right now? Oh, you're holding firmly to it. Man, our culture is is coming at us, isn't it? With different opinions or different things. So that when culture changes, guess what doesn't change? The word of God. What is popular culture? When it's convenient to be a Christian, that has changed. Have you changed your position on certain things that are now outside the word of God because culture says it's not cool or culture says it's taboo or I don't want to insult this person or that person and you're more worried about how other earthly people think about you than what the eternal God says to you? Stand. Hold fast to the truth. When it's popular, when it's not, are you willing to do that? That's what an elder does. Hold firm. Read Paul's other letters immaturity means that you get blown to and fro by every wind and every doctrine and every cultural change maturity means you hold fast to what is true you got to know it right how do you know it this text says before you teach it you got to learn it to the trustworthy word is taught before Titus could teach it he had to learn it are you continuing to learn God's word not just on a surface level way, but are you diving deeper? We all should be continually growing in God's word. Are you doing that? Elders should be pursuing spiritual maturity. How do I understand God's word? How do I interpret it? How do I, what are better tools? Let me dig deep. What's the context? What is the original author's intent? What is the Holy Spirit saying? Are you doing that with God's word? Or are you just picking a cup, coffee cup verse and applying it somehow? Because you'll fall when the winds and the waves come if you're just doing that. So that he may be able to give instruction. Are you willing to give instruction? Now, this doesn't always mean behind a pulpit. You can give instruction. You can teach God's word and harvest kids, harvest students, over a coffee cup, in a small group, or preach. A variety of ways. But are you willing to give and capable of giving sound doctrine instruction? Not just in any doctrine, but in sound doctrine. Is your doctrine sound? Is it healthy? Is it actually God's word or not? Are you treasuring God's word? And then are you willing to rebuke those who contradict it? Again, more on this next week. But are you willing to take a stand when it's hard? Remember, lead, feed, protect, and God. That's what a shepherd does. Rebuking people that say things contrary to God's word with love, with grace, is protecting the church. Now, it's not about you and you have to be make sure your motives are correct, But this text is very, very clear. This whole Bible talks about how to interact with others. Are you willing to do that? So what does this mean as we pursue spiritual leadership, biblical leadership? One, men, are you willing to aspire to this? I hope so. Will you? Will you aspire to this? Because again, it's about spiritual maturity. Two, are you willing to embrace it? There is a cost to it. We're not going to shirk that. There is a cost. There are elders in this room. There's a cost. From this church and others. There's a cost. But it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth it. (laughs) Because he's worth it and the world is worth it. Because they need to know, don't they? Well, Are you willing to embrace? It means saying no to other things so you can say yes to God. Saying, are you willing to embrace it? And friends, for all of us, will you please pray for it? Pray for the current elders, please. We need you. We need God's prayers. We need the prayers of God's people. Pray for wisdom and direction. Pray for unity. Will you pray for the those that are considering the role and pray for wisdom and pray for direct? Pray for future elders. Will you pray, pray, pray? Nothing matters if we don't pray. When we pray, man, God moves. Will you fan into flame? I was talking to Pastor Andrew about this and we were talking and he brought up the story of Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos in Acts 18. I love it. Apollos was a hotshot Jew who, who knew God's word and he showed up and he was a hotshot, not in a bad way. He was, he had his stuff together and he was preaching to him. Priscilla and Aquila noticed him and they said, come on, let me teach you a deeper understanding. Husband and wife worked the disciple Apollos who then God used powerfully in, in, in Andrew's words, using spiritual imagination. I imagine that Apollos was probably an elder somewhere. He might have even helped write the book of Hebrews. Who knows? Different people have different opinions on that. But maybe you see someone, come on, let me disciple you, man. Uh, pour into you. I see this in you. It's worth it. Be patient with it. We're going through a staff, on uh, uh, going through 1 Timothy on disciple uh, the devotions each week. 1 Timothy 6 says, don't be hasty in laying on of hands. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. Get it right. And then support and submit to it. That's, that's 1 Timothy 5, 22. And then support and submit to it. Here's, for, here's Hebrews chapter 13. This is a role for all of us. And it's hard for us because we like control. Obey your elders or your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not groaning. For that will will be no advantage to you. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. That's the role of a shepherd. That's the role of an elder. They'll have to give an account. Friends, when you think about the role of eldership, we should be fearful. But may it be a fear that is reverential and going, God, I'm willing, open my heart as opposed to a fear that leads to running from God, allow it to be a fear that runs to God. And if you're like, I'm not good enough to be an elder, let me close with this character study. God by the name of Peter. You remember Peter in Matthew chapter four, Jesus found him on a boat running the family business. And he said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. He invited him to leave his business, his family business to go to a greater work. He then had a three-year journey with Jesus ups, downs, and all arounds, right? Including in Matthew 16, where Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, on you, you are the rock on which I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Praise God. Peter, on you, you are going to be a leader in the big church. And immediately after that, Peter's like, when Jesus is like, hey, I got to die and be risen again, Peter says, what? No, not over my dead body. My paraphrase, right? And Jesus says, what? Get behind me, Satan. Like, we see this guy that doesn't always get it right. And right before Jesus goes to the, the cross in the upper room, he looks at Peter and says, you will you'll what? You'll deny me three times. And Peter's like, I would never do that. Guess what he did? In between that, he took out a knife and in his own fervor cut off the ear of a servant in the garden. That's not really biblical eldership. That's anger. And then he denied Jesus three times. I'm not with him. I'm not with him. I'm not with him. And then Jesus died. Jesus was raised from the dead. He revealed himself to his elders and there was one day fishing And he appeared, John 21. They were having breakfast on the shore. And he said, Peter, come over here. I want to talk to you. And he looked at Peter and says, do you love me? And then what did Jesus say? If you love me, feed my sheep, right? Peter, do you love me? Yep, feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Tend to my flock, care for my sheep. You know what he was saying? Peter, if you love me, be an elder. Take care of the church. Yes, you have a past, but I have forgiven you, I have redeemed you, and I have a plan for you. Are you willing to embrace it? Yes, you denied me, but I forgive you. And now I send you to do the most important work for which I have created you. Will you embrace it? Be my sheep. And then you know what he closed by saying? Follow me. He was insinuating that Peter would himself be crucified, which he was. Follow me in life follow me in death, follow me and build my church. Friends, will you follow Jesus and pursue biblical leadership wherever that path may go? He's worthy and he's worth it. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We love you and we look to you right now. Father, I just pray that you would build your church and your church is people. It starts in here. It starts in our hearts and minds. And in this moment, God, I just pray for each of us that you would move in our hearts these areas of our life, men, women, children, that we are not above reproach. Father, I pray that you would stir in us a holy conviction and reveal to us and lead us to a heart of repentance and the reality that we need you and we're lost without you. And Father, I thank you for your grace and your gospel and the fact that we get to live it and then embrace it and then model it for others. And Father, in this moment, God, I just pray that you would just lead us to people that are willing to elevate and to step up and to step out on faith and to embrace the roles that you have for us. Knowing that there are seasons, and some seasons it's right for us, and some seasons it's not, that we need to focus on other things. But that in every season, our heart is to serve you wherever you lead. Open hearts, open minds. And Father, I just pray that you would move and that you would work. God, we need you. And we love you. Build your church and start in here with each and every one of us in our hearts and lives. In your name we pray. Amen.